It's the SaaS Brand Strategy Show. We are back this week, as we are every week. My name is Ryan Copperud. I am here in Minneapolis, Minnesota with my esteemed colleagues, Dustin Robertson and Mike Geraci. Gentlemen, happy 11-11 day. How are you? 11 excited. Excited, are, excited. I think this is the earliest we've ever recorded a podcast and also somehow the highest energy we've ever had for a podcast. We are fired up today. Dude, I've been on a run already. This is great. I like doing it in the morning. Let's go. It's, uh, Let's go. it's singles day and I, I, got a, I woke up to an email from Caddis and we were doing buy one, get one half off. We've never put our stuff on sale. I was Ooh. like, why are, we, why are we doing that right now? And then later in the day it occurred to me I was like oh we must have a singles day thing going but we didn't brand it that way it just said good uh, lucky day so got it got it yeah singles day explain to the folks who don't know Dustin what's singles day so singles day was started in China by Alibaba and I think just there's so many single people there I don't know if it's because there's too many fe- males or not enough females or there's some there's some imbalance in their population so they have a lot of single people and so uh, um, 11 11 was made into a holiday and Alibaba started doing kind of like a, a Black Friday Prime Day around it. And the first few times they did it, it was it was bigger than any Prime Day or any Black Friday sales volume we had in America. And mm. I, I haven't been tracking it. I don't know where it is now. But anyways, um, it's kind of drifted over here because, you know, U.S. retailers are always excited to have an opportunity to, to sell stuff. And so uh, we most people have a singles day offer now here. And just the reason we're so excited is um, winetext.com, which is also a super interesting business model that Gary Vaynerchuk started, um, where they text you one wine a day. And if you want it, all you do is reply back to the number of bottles you want. But today they're doing uh, an 11 11 sale. So they're going to do cases of wine. So you can only buy a case, but each bottle is only $11.11. And so when we get the text today, we're going to reply back one, two, three, four, five, or however many cases we want. Normally I would put 12 because I buy by the case, but I cannot put that in today because I would get 12 cases. <laughs> Actually, Mike, Mike would get 12 cases and then <laughs> would, have to, would have to rent a U-Haul to bring it to me. <laughs> Across state and, lines, felony, of course. Yeah. It's okay. I'll own it. As, as much as you love wine, 12 cases of wine at your doorstep is probably even for you, a little too much wine. Yeah, that's more than I can go through. But it is the holiday season. Um, You know, you can give it as gifts. And Gary kind of put the promo video out about it. And he said, look, he's trying to make this the single largest event in the wine industry worldwide. And so it's pretty interesting. The wine text model is fascinating. Mike and I got hooked on it as soon as it launched and then quickly hit our legal limit we're allowed to ship into wyoming so <laughs> there's all sorts of nuances around shipping alcohol apparently um but we think and we have transporting more it. <laughs> i but that's I why if- we're enthusiastic we just spent the last 10 minutes talking about wine and buying wine and we're fired up we're ready to roll i bet a nice way to t- tap into passion absolutely i bet if you tweeted about uh, about that fact that you have, you have OD'd on the legal limit of, of wine that you can ship to you. I bet you, you would get a Gary V retweet off of that. We there, love wine text actually, so much. Yeah. We I don't know how many customers they have in Wyoming either. It's going to be pretty limited. So mm. maybe I'm getting that TLC customer service because I'm like the only Wyoming customer, but I sure, kind of doubt it. Sure. 
that's that's definitely a possibility well in jackson lots of people are buying wine but i don't think they care what it costs so. that's true it is true those are my um, friends <clears throat> Well, unfortunately, even though it is 11-11 day, you will, uh, you listener, you fair listener will not be able to take advantage of this because you will be hearing this after that day has passed, but you could still, uh, you can still take advantage of the service of winetext.com. Just not this amazing sale, at least until next year. Um, but this whole, this whole sale and this experience that y'all are fired up about, I, I was, I was converted. I have signed up. I'm going to be entertaining this concept for the first time as of today. Uh, it ties into a thing that we want to talk about today. A little bit of, uh, is it fair to call it a buzzword lately? Or it's a series of words, a buzz phrase uh, going around the, the industry uh, lately. Um, product-led growth is a thing that we hear a lot about. We've been talking a lot about as a trio. Um and boy, if wine text isn't a bit of a product-led growth story, they bring good wine to your doorstep enough that you all want to tell people about it, including me and converting me to, to a winetext.com customer. Um, true or false, winetext.com is an example of product-led growth, even though it's a B2C brand. Ooh, yeah, I have an opinion. Mike, you go first. No, no. First, let's uh, let's level set. What's product-led growth, Dustin? You're more qualified to define it than I am. Okay. Yeah. So um, I don't know if it's a buzzword. It's just uh, in B two B, we're pretty famous for finding trends and then naming them. And sure. actually, that's what our whole business is based on doing. I guess it just scared <laughs> me. <laughs> um, and so you know, what happened was people were kind of looking at various companies who were able to grow really rapidly. And initially it was like, oh, they're able to grow really rapidly and large without a sales team. That's kind of how it started. And InVision was one of the first ones that kind of got touted as, you know, a product-led growth company. And that, that was kind of how it was framed up. It's like, you're able to get your users to spread your word of mouth, and then you're able to penetrate into these organizations. And then you ultimately do end up selling like large ACV contracts. And over time, it's kind of evolved into like, well, this is the formula for product-led growth, which if you break it down, it's just like, okay, you just need to build really great software and, you know, and have it deliver value quickly. Like, okay, that's, that's just how you should be running your business. So I think putting that aside, we'll dive into the ingredients of a product-led growth company as they're defined widely. And pretty much everybody references the open view product-led growth kind of primer um, as the place to go. And so we'll go off of their definition. And it's pretty simple. Um, you know, one, uh, you need to deliver value to the user really quickly. So the reason I would argue wine Techs is a product led growth company is as soon as you sign up that day, you will get a text and it'll be a wine. That's really good for a price you've never seen before. And then to buy it, all you do is just reply to the text with the number of bottles you want. So it's really frictionless. And as soon as I sign up that day, I will get value. Now, whether I want to buy that wine, that day I might not, but I'll, I'll, I'll be able to easily understand the value prop that's going to happen here. And then the next day, another wine comes and the next day, another wine comes and You know, eventually that model does wear down you and like you either hit your shipping limit or you just have enough wine and you can't really turn it off. But that getting value to you immediately is the key. And now in software, it's much more complicated because for this you know, to happen, you kind of have, would have to have a free trial. Because if I'm going to buy Qualtrics for 
you know, a $400,000 ACV contract for my 2000 person company, you know, it's, it's probably difficult for them to, you know, crank up free surveys or some, some way that somebody in that org could go have a great, um, experience management, uh, use case for them. And then spread that throughout the org. They might have a product led mission. Maybe you can go in and run small surveys for free or run tests. You probably could. Um, but that's really kind of a, a requisite and people have argued, Oh, you don't need a free trial. You don't need freemium to do this. But if you follow the definition of like, you have to deliver value to the user really quickly. Um, I don't, I don't see how, you know, I think it's a lot harder if you don't have some way for people to experience the tool without signing up. So there's that. And then the other thing they talk about is product-led growth means that um, you really focus on the UI, the experience of the tool. So that's really interesting. It's like, oh, so you mean you have to like care about design and like really <laughs> like think about the user flow and like it's a good experience to use. And I think the reason people talk about that is just because legacy software tools didn't have that, you know, and I think Salesforce is a pretty good example of a tool that does not have a great UI that you know, was built before this was a trend. And so um, they're so big and so many people have it installed and it's such an integral piece of software, you know, nobody can overtake them. So I think you could do a PLG strategy into CRM, which people have done. Um, I think Close, the one we use is a PLG CRM and there's just no way you're, you're gonna disrupt uh, the scale of the Salesforce with PLG. So kind of getting into the fact that, um, you know, PLG will hit a wall at some point but the bottom line is it's, it's six principles of things that you should do in your business, regardless of what you're doing. And it's just like, this is how you build a great business. And if you, you know, if you then think that's all you need to do, and that's going to take you to the promised land, I think you're going to be disappointed. And we have a few high flying examples of really successful companies. One of them we all use every day that hit a wall and we'll talk about how that happened. But so that, that's it. I mean, there's a few other points in the open view article you guys can go read, but it's, you know, have a good UI, deliver experience really quickly, word of mouth, people need to spread it because of that experience. And then ultimately, um, there's some way that you can sell a larger contract uh, to the company. This is kind of like, you know, for a while, D to C, everybody's like, D to C is the new model, D to C is the new economy. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, actually D to C is a really easy way to launch a new business, a new idea, and then scale it from there. Like you're not going to be sustainable with D to C. Eventually you're going to need to go beyond the D to C model to, to, uh, to scale and kind of realize profitability and everything else. Is this a version of that? Yeah. I mean, D to C was again, that's just, uh, that's, that's not a thing, right? It's just a way to go to market. That's more efficient. And mm -hmm. just about every successful D to C company eventually does like sell into wholesale at some level and then open up retail stores. And, you know, Caddis is a good example. We have wholesale partners, we have our own retail stores and we started by selling on the internet. Um, and you know, that there's just so much, so many efficiencies you can use by starting digitally. I mean, uh, and most D to C companies, before you even build the product, you go ahead and launch the website and the brand and see what it costs you to acquire customers. So you can determine if you should even go build this stuff. Yeah. Buddy at ne Nectar Mattresses <laughs> did that. He sold a container full of mattresses before he ever had any mattresses just to make sure that his model worked. 
Yep. I'm just comparing it to the enthusiasm for like, oh, it's this new amazing thing. And then the smart people were like, yeah, no, it's as to your point, it's more of a go to market as a way to like introduce an idea, test it, and then bring it into a broader, broader scope. Is PLG the same thing? Like, yes, you're going to build a foundational business based on, you know, just the basics of good business, but it's an easier way to get um, some penetration into the market before you scale. Absolutely. Yep. And so, and we have our clients come to us and say, we want to, we want to do a, a product led model. Um, and we're doing the messaging and strategy for them. And so um, what's interesting in the product led playbook, nowhere in there does it talk about having a story that your customers can tell and sell for you. It talks about building a community. It talks about word of mouth. Nowhere in there do they get specific with the fact that you actually need a crisp story that your consumers can tell and sell. If you just pivot on that, oh, I had this wow feature that gave me value right away and there's nothing more to tell and sell after that, I think you're missing out on a big chunk of what PLG is. And so that's probably why we wanted to talk about this today was there's something missing from the PLG playbook um, that would turbocharge it. And again, this is just any good business would have all of these things. But PLG specifically, since it's trending, isn't talking about um, having a story that you not only tell and sell inside your business, but that your customers can tell and sell for you. Okay, so the how PLG is different from freemium, which was the kind of buzzword from a couple of years ago, is you're actually charging for this product. It's not just a free have at it type thing. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, so hypothetically... Dustin, you're president of a SaaS B2B company and you go to your VP of marketing and you say, Sarah, I've got great news. We are now a product-led growth company. And Sarah, who's your VP of product is gonna be like, okay, great. So what do I do differently? <laughs> and your answer is? Wait, it, have I been there or did I just get plunked in there? No, you're hypothetically the president, but you're going to go tell Sarah, who's your VP of product, that you, that the company is now a PLG company. And Sarah, who's in charge of product, is going to be like, okay, so now what do I do? What do I do differently now? I got you. I have an opinion on this. Dustin, you can go if you got one loaded. Well, it's just, yeah, it's hard for me because I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't join a situation like that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, need more context. I said hypothetically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, I think for your Sarah, your head of product, she's going to be like, okay, so what you're telling me is previously we weren't focused on uh, user experience. So the flow and when you log into our app, it's subpar. Uh, we haven't been measuring all the product metrics. So we actually don't know where people stumble, where people have those wow moments. And so we're not able to amplify those. And then further on, uh, the marketing team doesn't have any uh, workflows or automations or strategies to leverage the fact that somebody had a wow moment and then now they're gonna spread it virally. And then finally, we don't really have a user community of people who are really excited about our product and are out there telling and selling their story. So what you're telling me that you wanna be product led and we're missing all those things and you'd like me to fix that? Okay. <laughs> okay, so Brian, before you go, I'm gonna add another yeah. layer to this. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because one of the promises, and this is where you can hear the skepticism in me, one of the promises of PLG model is you get to cut your sales and marketing spend. You get to cut your sales and marketing team. They're not that important anymore. So, so Ryan, you're the president. You go to Sarah and you say, hey, great news. We are now PLG. 
we're cutting our sales and marketing team and budgets in half. <laughs> Sarah, go get it. <laughs> well, okay. So first of all, uh, you can't make both those choices simultaneously, uh-huh. right? <laughs> you can't decide that you're going to be a PLG company now and get rid of your sales and marketing team because there's going to be a gap between the time that your product organization really, really dials in the concept of PLG. And if you back off your sales and marketing team before they have achieved that, you are just going to have a big empty cavern in between those things. So you can probably, if you really achieve like actual, actual product led growth, you can probably deescalate those things a little bit in the future. If your product is doing some of the heavy lifting for you, but you can't do them simultaneously. Uh, If who is my hypothetical VP of product, Sarah, (laughs) is it Sarah? If Sarah, uh, if Sarah hasn't been, I think Sarah would need to focus on, and Dustin, you said it, the aha moment, or just we'd sometimes say speed to value. How quickly can you add value to a user's life so that they go, ding, I get this, this helps me. And a lot of times product organizations, ones that I've seen or been a part of are, they're spread kind of thin, right? They're working on features, they're working on onboarding, they're working on you know future growth plan, what are the other products we're acquiring or building to kind of create a suite here? And sometimes if you can go, hey, we need to take the water slide that is the signing up and being effective in this tool and shorten it by about 50 feet. That's not necessarily a thing that product organizations are always focused on. Um, and so you might have to turn down the percentage of focus on some of those new features, larger product suites, maybe even maybe even the general UI for a little bit and shorten that initial water slide to like, boom, I'm getting value, splash into the pool uh, to hopefully start, start that. But it's a lot of pieces, right? It's like you said, Dustin, it's like six, they call attention to six separate elements of, of a company that's achieving product-led growth. But that's what I would tell Sarah specifically is like, how, how short can we make that speed to value? Got it. Okay, so my next question, <clears throat> what's the alternative to product-led growth? Is it sales-led growth? Is it marketing-led growth? Like what? So what's on the other side of that spectrum? I do think it's funny that the implication of product-led growth is that your product isn't, if, if you are not doing product-led growth, your product isn't that good and your sales and marketing is compensating for it. <laughs> like that is sort of right. the implication of the inverse of the phrase. Right. Yeah. So I think the inverse is you have a subpar product and you maybe got product market fit on one feature. It's been copied. and you didn't focus on a message of, you know, why you're different. And so you've hit that, that $20 million AR wall and you're struggling. Um, so yeah, I don't, it's, I think it's dangerous to be like, Oh, we're product led or we're not. I don't think anybody would say they're not, you know, because that would, that would imply that your product's not good or you, or you don't have a story that's different. Yeah. Um, I think that's fair. Um, you know, one of the things, my skepticism is when reading through some of the the cheerleading that's going on for PLG is it's just, it's a lot of stuff that I've heard before, like a maniacal focus on the customer. And you're like, uh-huh, so what does that mean? You're not focused on the customer right now, or you're like half focused on the customer, or, you know, is it growth-led um, uh, growth? You know, like what, so anyway, and what comes to mind is, and I wrote about this before, is what people in the uh, advertising industry refer to as the better mousetrap policy. And that's the idea that just build a 
just build a better mousetrap and people will beat a path to your door. You don't need sales. You don't need marketing. You just need a kick-ass product. And we've talked about before, or at least I have, is if you go to the VP of sales and say, hey, great news, we're, we're getting rid of marketing. We don't need marketing anymore. It's all you guys. Or if you go to the marketing, VP of marketing and say, hey, we're getting rid of the sales department. Like the best salespeople we know in B2B know they need killer product and they need marketing to support them. The best marketing people we know in B2B know they need killer product and killer salespeople to sell it in. It's not one or the other. It's like a three-legged stool that needs to be like just humming um, together, synchronized. And that gets to you know what we do in terms of the telling and selling of your story to get alignment across the organization about what the org, what the 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 um what the value prop is. So what I see happening here is the consumerization of software and the consumerization of software marketing continues to push forward. And people are um, looking for ways to actually evolve their business model to kind of match that. Um, and so PLG is kind of emerging out of that as yes, we have to evolve. We have to kind of shift uh, our, where our commitments are in time and money and everything. And that's starting to be called PLG because as you said, we, we name things in the B2B world. <laughs> Yeah, agreed. Um, I think so there are, it's worth recognizing just some of the PLG companies that kind of started the movement and why they got called it. And so this is because if you really focus in on people that kind of started this, right? So Envision, uh, a designer would mock up a wireframe and then you just share it with other people. And so once you had the wireframe, you had to have other people come comment and look at it. And so therefore you have this viral loop of like, hey, oh, we'll create an Envision account. Um, Slack was is another one. Um, you, right, if you <laughs> created a Slack channel, you had to have somebody to talk to. And then you needed other people to talk to it. And so it would spread by the need of the function of the product. And I think that's kind of how this category started. And it's just gotten uh, watered down and kind of uh, thought leadership to the point where it's like, you guys, this is just how you run a good business. So if you can design your startup from the start to have the functionality and solve a problem that, you know, enables users to log in and then invite other users, superpower. Very cool. Yeah. Not everything fits that model. So, you know, don't force it, but if you can, that's great. Um, but even Slack, who is, you know, the most successful a uh, product-led company probably ever came out. I think Dropbox was like maybe the first company that got claimed for doing it. Um, mm -hmm. But anyways, in, in enterprise software, Slack, so they wildly successful, went public, and then they just hit a wall. And the wall they hit was called Microsoft. Microsoft built Teams. Teams is probably 70% as good as Slack. I don't know. I've, I've not used it. I've heard it's not great. But it prevented Slack from growing. And, you know, Microsoft can bundle that with their office suite and they have a scale that is really hard to compete with. And so product led or not, you're not, they were not able to overcome Microsoft's dominance <laughs> of scale and distribution. And so they got bought by Salesforce because that was really their only option. They had to go into some other ecosystem that also had scale. And so that's, it's kind of interesting to be like, oh, you can be product led. It's the best thing in the world. And it's like, it is until it's not. And so... Um, the best product does not always win. And we're, you know, we're seeing it with teams. Um, there's articles out there just this week, Notion, who is another product-led darling, 
Um, they have community, really passionate users. It's very cool. Um, very, uh, it's been spread word of mouth to me multiple times from multiple different companies. And uh, Microsoft just decided to attack Notion before they even really probably got into their stride. I mean, they're definitely a unicorn and have lots of funding, but they just announced that they're going to roll that into their office suite. And so Notion's wings are clipped. Um, and so it's just interesting that, you know, product-led, absolutely the principles of it, follow them. Uh, I think you need to layer in the fact that you have to have a story that you can tell and sell. Um, Slack never really had a story that you told and sold about Slack. It was just better than email and it just worked. And so we all just started using it, but there was no, there was no mission or narrative that they were trying to uh, put out into the world about making anything better in the workplace. I think they started to at the end, but it wasn't there at the start. It was just product functionality and product functionality is copied. And if Microsoft copies it, that's really bad for you. Oh, oh my, I thought Mike had something. Just a uh, cough. Just a cough. I had one too. I missed the mute. It happens. Um, a couple a couple things I wanted to react to there, Dustin. One thing I think is important is when people talk about product-led growth, the piece you're talking about with Envision and Dropbox and Notion, a lot of people think that product-led growth by its definition is just companies that have that flywheel effect of like, multiple people need to bounce off of this for it to be valuable. And that's how we grow is by these adding these users. And that's true. But to your point, it also isn't a model that fits every business. And so some businesses achieve product-led growth through what you're talking about, Mike, that maniacal focus on the customer. And I do think actually to go back to that, I do think sometimes businesses aren't maniacally focused on the customer. And some people are going, oh, this is actually kind of refreshing. And maybe we need to, maybe we do need to reframe our perspective a little bit here and think about the customer. Because I think particularly in software, people can think they know the problem well enough that they can both diagnose and execute against it for extended periods of time without that voice coming into the process. So I do think in some ways, whether it's, whether it is novel or revolutionary or not, some people are seeing it as like, oh yeah, we haven't talked to a customer in six months. Maybe we should, uh, maybe we should do that. Maybe, I'm, maybe that's I'm important. reminded of one of our clients who was very proud of being consumer focused and, and in all our stakeholder interviews, you know, one of our questions in stakeholder interviews is, you know, how frequently do you interface with clients or customers? Yeah. And like, nobody said like, yes, I talk to the yeah. customer all the time. Yeah. It's like, how it are you like, well, that happens over here. if no one talks yeah. to the customer? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, one of the things I think is really interesting, um, you know, one of the reasons to ask the question, like, what's the alternative? And you see people designing for enterprise because that's where the, the money is. That's where the market is. And when you design for enterprise, the to get people to shift what they're using and how they're using when there's so much um, the legacy of the existing um, software that they're using to get them to the shift is huge. Um, it's just such a big ask. You better just have an amazing alternative to that. Um, but if you come in kind of under the radar um, with, you know, employees start using it and spreading it, and all of a sudden you've got 30% of your workforce on something that, 
that the HR or the IT department hasn't heard of before, then they have to start um, looking for, okay, how do we incorporate this? Because it's already been adopted by our, our workers and it's proven to be beneficial to pr productivity or morale or whatever you want to talk about. So that idea of like Trojan horsing uh, versus coming in from the top and, and thinking you're going to own all the business, but coming in from the bottom, from the ground up, and then slowly taking over the territory of whatever existing thing you have is really powerful, I think. That's um, Lucid, who's here in Utah. That that's how they did it. So it's um, it's a charting drawing tool. Probably everybody here's probably used it, and that's how they do it. <clears throat> They'll get a hundred a hundred instances inside a corporation, and then the sales team just calls the infosec team and says, "Hey, you've got a hundred users using this tool. You know, it's it's free for them, but would you like to add security functionality to it?" And that works. And that they're a hundred million dollar ARR SaaS business. So. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And I, we talked about this yesterday, but like thinking about it as a framework, if you're designing design for the gig economy, design as if every employee at an organization is a solopreneur or a, a, a gig economy worker, because essentially we are, everybody there has got their own thing they're trying to accomplish and everybody's looking for solutions. And usually enterprise level stuff actually adds complexity instead of simplicity because of all the the boxes that it has to check at an enterprise level. So if you design for the, you know, a gig economy worker, all of a sudden you're going to remove a lot of the friction, a lot of the bloat that might exist in something that's designed for the uh, enterprise. The company that comes to mind when you say that for me, Mike, the bloat of enterprise and like the antithesis of designing for the individual is a company like Marketo, right? Like, to me, Marketo is the opposite of a product-led growth company just because it's so complex. It demands so much implementation, the user experience. I mean, it's sort of heralded as universally not very good. I mean, Dustin, you can weigh in. I know you've been at, been at or around Marketo well, institutions. So this is, I mean, but they used a bunch of principles of product-led growth. They had a community, you know, they had True. a strong brand, they had a story and but the part of it they didn't use is like usability and wow, because, but they, they flipped the script and said, Hey, yeah, you have to get a Marketo expert and look at these people. And they turned these Marketo experts into raging fans. So they took like the community aspect of PLG and ignored the UI and product functionality. Aspect. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, think the product func I think the product did have good functionality, but it was very difficult to use. And in fact, yeah. you needed a certified expert, but they flipped the script on that and killed it. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's maybe worth noting that like, um, to your point earlier about there being, there being principles here that are just good business many companies, in fact, probably most companies won't be able to hit all of those principles, but if you can grab three or four of those six or whatever, there's still things that you should be doing to help create a company that grows. So, yeah, I think it's a totally valid conversation everybody should have, but it, yeah, just realize, you know, it doesn't mean you have to have freemium. It doesn't mean that you have to have a uh, viral loop where, you know, your tool invites one person and then it invites others. Um, you know, those are kind of one kind of PLG. And if you can have those in your product, great. There's lots of examples of how that works, but um, designing for the end user, having great UI, giving wow moments in the product, and then having a story that your customers can tell and sell about it. That's, that's going to be what supercharges this. 
And I think starting there is better than, you know, trying to design something the ground up for PLG. Just start with the problem you solve, the big change in the world, why does it matter? And then anchor that in the superpowers your customers get. I mean, and that's, you know, obviously biased because that's what we do, but honestly, we've seen that work time and time again. And there's plenty of examples of the companies that do that. And they end up taking 75% share of the market, AKA Qualtrics and experience management. And, and I think to exactly what you just said, Dustin, product-led growth is about how fast can you give your customers those superpowers? You know, how, how quickly can you as a business create a software that makes me as a customer feel like I have a superpower once I'm using it? If you can make that even shorter, the, prompt, the, the superpowers that you promised me and in, in your brand story, in your messaging, in your positioning, can you, how quickly can you pay that off? Because closing that loop is so important to someone going, ding, awesome experience. They promised me I was going to have a superpower. I got in there and I have the superpower they promised me, like ASAP. Then I'm going to tell yeah. people about that. I think you have to be careful though, that it, you're not just uh, marketing a feature. So it's, if you don't wrap the story in the bigger mountain you're climbing and it's just a feature, then you will be copied and other people will pick up and like, oh, the superpower is just this. Okay, cool. We have that. And it's, le- it's cheaper, faster, whatever. So it's got to be uh, tied in the story about how you're different because feature-based marketing is really over. Um, and it's, it's being widely talked about now, all the, uh, self-proclaimed thought leaders on LinkedIn are, are starting to use David Cancel's quote, product-based differentiation yeah. going away. And it, nobody's attributed it to him. I'm kind of disappointed. And it's probably people just coming to it on their own and they don't know that David had said it a long time ago, but I feel like every time somebody says that, I'd be like, <laughs> just take the screenshot of David's quote. Like, yeah. Hey man. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Where's your, where's Reminds your citation? Speaking of quotes, um, maybe as a way to wrap this up, it reminds me of a quote from uh, BBH in London, which is a creative agency back in the day, and their account strategists, you know, were, when you're talking about a creative agency, and this is a little um, non sequitur, I apologize, but same idea. When you have a big idea, you're trying to sell into somebody like a client. Um, The idea is easy. The sale is hard. Um, and so what their approach to it was, and this is kind of similar, is we don't sell, we make people want to buy. Mm. And so that just kind of that, the way to think about that, that little twist gives you the inspiration, but it also makes you have to work a little bit harder to make sure you're overcoming all those uh, barriers to entry into a new, a new idea or a new market. So we don't sell, we make people want to buy is a good way to think about it. I love that. Beautiful. Love it. Awesome. Uh, Product-led growth. What do you think? What did we miss? Tell us what we missed at hi at drmg.co. You can complain to us there. You can ask us questions there. Uh, You can find out more about what we do if you want to hit us up there. Also, if you have an idea for an episode, we're open. Uh, So send us an email, hi at drmg.co. Otherwise, check us out online at drmg.co. Uh, gentlemen, anything else to add? What, what do you need? When, when's your wine text coming? Uh, it should be in the next hour. All um, right. <laughs> I think we should, uh, let's leak the next episode. So We're doing a series here. We didn't really say that, but we're doing PLG and then we're going to do uh, product market fit next. <laughs> oh, that's good to know. They're, they're kind of tied <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah. They're on the, on the podcast calendar. We're going to do product market fit. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, awesome. That's good. 
Yeah, because that, that's a fun one. Um, product market fit is, uh, I think, also a term that is getting worn out. And um, I think because it's based in the land of features that it's just, it's mm. not carrying the water it used to. But sure, we're talk about it. I dig it. I dig it. We'll do that next week. Uh, to all of you out there in internet world, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. We appreciate you being here. Mike, Dustin, as always, I appreciate you. Thanks, Ryan. We'll see everybody next week.